Tu 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 Oh, I didn't I didn't know that you were there. Hello, hello there. I'm always here, Scott. Oh, I wasn't even talking to you, John. I was just talking to the you in the sky. Oh, okay. The Estetus form, the the royal you, the I don't know. What is there to even know anymore? But I guess that means that you and I are connected between two cups and some wire, which is what the internet really is in some ways. And that means that we're doing this thing we do here called Popcorn Eschaton. I am your co-host, Scott Thurow. I'm here with John Arminio. We are on the Zebras in America channel, Podcast Network. We are we are our own show, but also a side story, a side event, but very much its own thing. Uh, you know, I think we started almost as like a blue in the face as it were to smoke, but I think hopefully we're, we'll become more like Riddick is to pitch black. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if that truly works because I actually like Riddick more than I like Pitch Black. And oh wow, interesting. Oh yeah, Riddick's Riddick's pro- Riddick's a great movie, but I just mean like I, I don't even know what I mean. I just think that you know we're all just regular people trying to have above average sandwiches. <laughs> And we are. I mean, I can relate to that, right? Yeah. And uh, I was just recently in New York, and New York makes great sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I live in Baltimore, and which I think people know, and if they don't, uh, weird. You know, it's not it's not a super sandwich town, though. Though people that are in the know know that. There is a sandwich from Baltimore called a pit beef sandwich, which is essentially a roast beef sandwich where where the beef round or is uh, is is roasted on charcoal, then sliced super thin with shaved onions and a horseradish mayo sauce on, you know, like a a hard roll, and it's quite good. But sounds delicious. Yeah, it is. It is delicious. It really is. But we are Popcorn Eschaton. We are a podcast that hopes to look at things from a leftist and spiritual lens and look at films that have leftists, spiritual, leftist and spiritual, leftist or spiritual lenses or things that we, or movies that may not necessarily have those sort of lenses uh, might not have those sort of ideas, but are super open for us to look at them from that lens. The first time I heard the term lens was in a writing class. I didn't understand it. And and it's just sort of idea. You, you look at something really taking in, a topic as you do it and it was 
really hard for me to do when I was younger. And, and now it's really hard for me not to do. And when we were having a, an interesting discussion last, last episode, out of nowhere, I said, we have to do Barbenheimer. And because I, I just realized that even though the concept of which of which we'll get into really irked me and is confusing and is very mimetic and and of this time and mm-hmm. and like sometimes things that I think is manufactured versus manufactured and I have some thoughts about some manufactured stuff that maybe we'll get into today but I never thought that I when I heard that people were literally going to see the film Barbie, Greta Gerwig's telling of the Mattel toy character and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, a biopic about one of the people who created the atom bomb. I was like, that can't be real. And then I saw that it was real. And I was like, this is silly. This is stupid. And then I realized since we're trying to talk about current events and understanding things and capitalism and faith and consumerism, what better thing than to attack these two movies, which otherwise we wouldn't be talking about with this, with similar lenses. And while I didn't see these see these two movies back to back. I did see them two days in between. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about your thoughts on the Barbenheimer? And before we go into the movies, the Barbenheimer idea, what you think about it, and how you consumed these films. Um, I... I was very excited that people were excited about movies. I get, I'm happy when people are excited about movies. Um, so the fact that these two movies were being memed so spectacularly together, um, honestly just d- delighted me. I'm pretty sure it also delighted the corporations that um, made and distributed these movies. Of course. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to escape those um, those forces when we're talking about film, frankly. And so I think 30, 40, 50 years ago, having two wildly divergent very good movies coming out on the same day was not an uncommon thing. But now we're so used to a film landscape that is being bulldozed by franchises and tentpole releases, you know, especially post-pandemic, that we're becoming less and less used to that. And so, you know, thematically, aesthetically, these two films contrasted so so spectacularly that they were able to be memed and that sort of like 
created a feedback loop that made people excited for it to want to participate in the the social discourse of what was happening. It, it's it's the same reason why you know Star Wars was a, was a phenomenon, why Jaws was a phenomenon, why The Exorcist was a phenomenon. Um, it, it it became the thing to do. Um, and is that is that good for film? Is that good for these movies? I I I think we'll be able to tell better like in a decade um i know i'm not the first person to say this but you know mattel has announced that they're planning movies for other of their properties and that's the exact wrong lesson to take from barbie's success yes um it's no you you gave greta gerwig license to make a really interesting movie about a doll and because greta gerwig is an auteur filmmaker with a distinct voice she made something great out of it um but I consume these two movies pretty far apart uh, because I planned to see Barbie with a friend that I actually hadn't seen in a very long time. And, you know, I, I typically see movies by myself, but, you know, watching movies with, like, like my brother, there were a couple instances where, you know, I, I went to the movies with him before he left for Australia um, you know, watching movies with my friend Trevor, who we've had on the show, like those are very special experiences t with to me. And not until I sat down in the theater did I realize that this is the f Barbie was the first movie my friend had seen since the pandemic. Wow. Uh, um, because she had a son in twenty, like early twenty twenty one, I think. Okay. So, yeah. So you know, it, it's hard to go see a movie. Yeah. With a toddler, and you know. Things were shut down before then. Um, so that's certainly, like, added to the pressure of Barbie. Like, this movie better be fucking good. Um, but we both loved it. And so it's very special to be able to share that experience with a, a good friend of mine that I hadn't seen in, in forever. Um, so I'm thankful to Barbie for <laughs> giving me that experience. Um what about you, Scott? Um, how did you come to see these films? Well, no, I'm sorry, you just explained that. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, what are your opinions about the, the whole memification of Barbenheimer? It's what made me feel inclined to see Oppenheimer. Because mm -hmm. I had no plan to see Oppenheimer. I, I was always interested in Barbie... I think there's a strange world that is trademarks in movies. Yeah. That sometimes really works, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean, like oh, that's a that's like a roller coaster ride or Haunted Mansion, you know. Sometimes that creates something kind of fun or or interesting, but I was just curious because the first Lego movie is one of the wildest movies I've seen since Ang Lee's The Hulk. <laughs> now, I don't know the last time you've seen Ang Lee's The Hulk, but that movie is crazy. I actually it have is, never seen it. It is out of its mind. Mm hmm I wouldn't say it's a good movie. Yeah. But I would say that 
it's more enjoyable than probably, for me, the last few Marvel movies. Yeah. Which I think they really need to figure something out. They need to hire someone like Greta Gerwig or something because the what what should be like maximalistic pop bombast like like listening to Queen at the highest level or listening to the band Boston like what should be like maximalistic beauty is now just very flat yeah. and and not in a good way so you have something like the Lego movie which is just so bizarre but also a good movie it has heart it has a good story again occasionally there are these mistakes of mainstream that have no intent have no reason to be what they are and but Greta Gerwig knew exactly what she was doing i believe so yeah you know Greta Gerwig has been working on films since the mid-aughts. This is not her first movie. She's made a bunch of movies and she's been she was part of the mumblecore movement. She's part of the post-mumblecore movement. She made she co she she worked on and co-created two of probably the defining films of post-mumblecore being Greenberg and Francis Ha by that are directed by her partner Noah Baumbach of Squid and the Whale. Now, those movies are two of the most uncomfortable movies I've ever seen. I don't really like either of them. When a friend of mine recently got dogpiled on Twitter for making an innocuous comment about Greta Gerwig just saying that her style of film was never really independent um, which made people very angry Uh, people were like yeah but what about Frances Ha what about Frances Ha she didn't direct Frances Ha she co-wrote and starred in Frances Ha but she didn't direct that movie but that's a different story you know, she's directed like four movies uh, and wrote a bunch. And if you look at her trajectory since she sort of really came on the scene with Lady Bird, you sort of see the crescendo. You know, I thought Little Women was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I didn't think I was going to like it. It wasn't something that I would have necessarily have gone to go see. But during the pandemic, Sasuke was like, I think you'd like this. And we watched it. And I was like, I do like this. This is this is a great retelling. Now, you know, I'm a Wuthering Heights kind of dude all the way. But I'll take I'll take a little Little Women yeah. as a treat. But sure. when I found out that they were getting... Greta Gerwig, who has really been just whether you like her or not, she's been killing it since since she since she made a name for herself with Lady Bird, which again was her second movie. But people really love her, 
and yeah. she she's really making a name for herself. So when I heard she was making Barbie and like they were letting her be weird about it, I was like, all right, let's see how it goes. And then you start seeing the previews for it. Then you start hearing about it. And you're like, wait, this looks bizarre. This yeah, I mean, is the, ins- the first teaser was was the 2001 homage opening. Like for for that to be your lead to promote your Barbie movie, that's wild, and I love it. Wild. So I was like, okay, this movie is either going to be a gigantic failure or going to be one of the biggest movies of all time. And if so, we'll be up until for now the 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 most successful female helmed film of all time and and we could talk about why that's taken so long to happen for all we for all we need to but again we're a bunch of cishet straight dudes i'm just saying like uh in short access yeah but i mean not only are we cishet white dudes we're also people who love movies sure and so like just for me selfishly the more people who have access to the tools of movie making, the more movies we get. Mm-hmm. And so I get to enjoy this art that I love more. So it it's in my self-interest <laughs> to encourage as many people as possible to have access to the tools of making film. Right, because everyone's context is different. Yeah. And And when we just start letting and allowing and watching movies made by different point of views different contexts you're just going to get to delight in in the flavor of the world so and, and even if you just look at well, like like in the, in the 70s when you know everyone from George Lucas, George Lucas to Scorsese to John Milius came in they were coming at making movies from a completely different perspective even though they were also another group of cishet white dudes it was a totally different perspective from the old studio system, and we got this complete revolution in filmmaking, a complete new way to tell stories in this medium. And, you know, we could just, like, keep doing that if we wanted to. And one thing that I'll talk about in Barbie in particular is that capitalism is willing to criticize itself to sell itself. Yeah. <laughs> so so there are some surface level biting critiques of many systems in the Barbie movie. But since it was successful, that'll continue to happen. So we're we're just going the we're just going to see more and more people diverse different types of people giving gigantic budgets to work on movies. Maybe. I'm not sure. Because who will see... We we can't really tell what's going to happen after these strikes and, and what big movies look like because there have been so many failures in film this year that I'm sure were unexpected. You know... My mom pointed out Mission Impossible came out the other day, and I didn't even know that. Yeah, that and like that made a profit certainly, but um, Indiana Jones really struggled. Um, did you see Indiana Jones? I did. 
uh, it was okay. Um, there are a lot of things I really liked about it, but like, I don't know if I'd be here <laughs> without Indiana Jones. You know, like I mean, there. I'm a Star Trek boy. I'm a Star Wars boy, but I, I don't know if any film series inspired my love of movies as like a six, seven year old, quite like Indiana Jones did. And so when when Indiana Jones fails, it makes me sad. Um, and and for a franchise like that, it needs to succeed both artistically and financial financially to be considered a success. And I, I yeah, so I, I think um, these companies are bereft of ideas, and so they need the people who are striking to bring them stuff that can, you know, become a, a, the next cultural milestone, like Barbie. Right. So that, so that, let, so, yeah, so go ahead. So tell me about Barbie. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think Barbie really does address, like, the cognitive dissonance of criticizing pop culture and capitalism while being part of it, because uh, that's what the movie is that's what barbie is as an idea as a doll as a concept but as the plot of the movie goes um it takes place we're introduced to barbie in barbie land barbie world and she's living a perfect life because from her perspective she's solved sexism she's freed women from the shackles of sort of required motherhood opened up the world to the possibilities that a woman can be do look like anything she wanted to be and so this fantasy land is run by all the different iterations of barbie including um one of the most hilarious ideas in movies that i've seen in the past 10 years weird barbie um brilliantly played by kate mckinnon um but who i think is a who who i think is a genius yeah absolutely um, and so I almost couldn't believe this moment happened in this movie just because it appeals to my sensibilities so much, but she has this sort of existential break and blurts out, does anybody ever think about death? <laughs> and that sort of cascades into an existential crisis that causes her to have to leave her Barbie world and go into the real world to find out that mm, sexism hasn't been solved and that leads to Ken discovering the patriarchy and implementing the patriarchy in Barbie world but um, through uh, her interactions with America Ferrara who's uh, a mom and her daughter who are going through some shit they're able to sort of take back Barbie world and come to a, an understanding with the Kens and along the way, we have some spectacular musical numbers with references to everything from, like, Jacques Tati to West Side Story and, and 2001. So it's, an, it's a feast for Barbie lovers, people who love musicals, and film dorks. And people who just love a good comedy. What a good time this movie is. Right, like, let's just say you're like, I know nothing about these things but i like movies it sort of fills the gaps it's it's like an hour and change it's like hour 40 minutes uh it's actually it a solid two hours 
Is it? Yeah. It, huh. it moves. Good for them. Yeah. You know, it it plays in a sort of magical realist world where, yeah, it's got like a Toy Story vibe. It's got a Truman Show vibe, but it's also got a Synecdoche vibe. It's It's got a lot of things going for it. But really what works for it is that it's done well. You know, I don't I I like pop music when it's done well. I love a good donut when it's made with precision. This is pop made with precision that got some flavors to it. This is art pop. This is like, you know, so yeah, you're just like made to believe that the Barbies that you play with exist in this own dimension that the toy companies are aware of. And they sort of just rock, and then occasionally, if some, if like something happens, you know, everything just get fixed. And in this world, you you get this idea that it's a matriarchy, and that and that the women are in power, and they talk about how there's that like yeah, how sexism has been fixed. And there's all different types of Barbies and black Barbies and overweight Barbies and special needs Barbies. Though, let's be honest, most of the Barbies in the movie are very beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think they could have done a little bit better with that, you know. But it's got this, like, hyper-pop bombast. And then it's like, oh, let's do this, like, Matrix sort of you know, feminism story. And and to this day, and I'm sure we talked about it before, I think the fact that the term that neocon and, and a lot of right-wing people, alt-right people, call the moment that they learn about stuff, red-pilling as a concept created by two trans sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Who's who basically like every single movie they make is an allegory about gender, you know. They're my they're my favorite pop filmmakers, by the way, but I, but I'm sure no one's surprised by that. And aside from honestly Matrix 4 and Matrix 3, I love everything that they've done. And um Cloud Atlas? Yep. Wow. Okay. But but we that that could be its own episode cuz it's yeah. got it's got a lot of political and religious undertones. Yeah, for sure. So, but yes, I I love Cloud Atlas. Um, you know what? I wouldn't I'm say I I'm on the Wachowski side and I want to like everything they do, so I'm I'm glad you like Cloud Atlas. I wouldn't say that I love Jupiter Ascending. Mhm. But I, but I like Jupiter Ascending quite a bit. That's probably of their main of one that I don't love. Mm -hmm. But like, if you assume like Assassins on, yeah, I just I thought Matrix Four just didn't have it didn't have a chance to really get to know itself. Yeah, and mate and Matrix Three just uh, just was rushed. But yeah, yeah for sure. I love that people are using this term that's, you know, 
totally probably about gender dysphoria, but I digress. And if I'm wrong, um, zebraspod at gmail.com. I'm always open to be to, to talk. And so you have these this female empowerment world where life is fun and every night is girls' night and there's also like Michael Sarah for some reason and then everyone else is Ken and you start getting at like the loneliness of of men in the Barbie world. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of Ken in the movie is like a metaphor for how women are treated in like, you know, the world now that you're made to be an accessory of of your partner or mm-hmm. the people in power of of you only exist to be a reflection of 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 women um as as Ken and and that you don't deserve to be treated this way. Um, right. And so both men and women deserve to be who they want to be and not the identity they are prescribed uh, to be. And so it's it's really like an unassailably simple way to get across a very core, like basic feminist message while also like if if you think this movie is is anti-man i i i don't know what to tell you um i you're well, I was, you're, you're either a, a troll or you haven't seen it um, right because because i saw the movie and i think that it was definitely anti-patriarchy for sure and and there are people that believe that anti-patriarchy is anti-man but that's certainly not the case. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to to a friend that was like, oh, you know, it's really anti-man. And I'm like, well, well, was it really anti-man? And and they were like, actually, no, actually, it's really just like anti the toxicity that maleness can become. Yeah. And I think it did a, a surface level way of talking about the toxicity of patriarchy and how men hurt in patriarchy too. Yeah. And not not necessarily they hurt as much cuz cuz they are still oppressors. So that, so no. But I think this quote that I'm about to read by Bell Hooks from The Will to Change Men, Masculinity and Love really powered my thought about Ken played beautifully by Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Um, you know, and Margot Robbie as Barbie. I mean, come on. It's great. Yep. And Will Farrell and like the the acting, everyone was just yeah, having a great time. Spectacular. Yeah. So learning to wear a mask, that word already embedded in the term masculinity, is the first lesson in patriarchal masculinity a boy learns. He learns that his core feelings cannot be expressed if they do not conform to the acceptable behaviors sexism defines as male. Asked to give up the true self in order to realize the patriarchal ideal, boys learn self-betrayal early and are rewarded for these acts of soul murder. Well, 
and you know i i th- i think that um even a movie like barbie if if you're not ready to face the soul murder um that patriarchy sort of requires then barbie will make you uncomfortable uh, like any feminist thought would make you uncomfortable so i think that knee jerk reaction of this is anti man um comes from an unwillingness to to accept the mask that you wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so realizing that you're wearing a mask, and then the much more difficult task of taking it off, are can be very uncomfortable and very painful for anybody. And so I think that's part of the resistance to. Any sort of social progress that we're seeing in in America, especially right now, this this sort of regressive tactic to um, or or tendency in in America to fight against um, equality, basically, and and something like Barbie, even if it is superficial, it it shows like the fucking party we could be having if we could just you know get over ourselves. And, but do we want to get over ourselves and yeah. are we are we almost given it, it feels like we're incentivized to not to not just party and have a good time mm-hmm. to to fight to argue to find terrible talking points and and get riled up to be divisive you know there are people that say that this there are countries that this movie is banned in right and I'm like dude dude it really ain't that deep I think this movie is does an interesting job of talking about complicated ideals and and does try to come to grips with some of the facets of which it of which it goes for and again like I don't really want to critique its feminism because I'm, I'm like, just that doesn't feel right. Um, I feel comfortable critiquing that critiques of capitalism in a billion dollar movie are always going to be a little interesting, you know, just how I've always gotten some flack for criticizing the fact that one of the main characters in the Black Panther series is a, is a person in the CIA when you know the CIA and the FBI were responsible for the death of many black panthers yep. but i digress that isn't saying that black panther and wakanda forever aren't good movies in fact i think someone said that barbie they said something stupid comparing barbie to black panther like like barbie was like uh black panther for white women i'm like that's dumb yeah did you hear, did, did you hear that one no, I haven't. Um, yeah, I was like, that's dumb. I just, because also, like, when I've seen, when my mom went to see Barbie, she said the the crowd was 90% female, but it was, like, the entire spectrum, age and everything, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie, you don't, the you know, the movie's made a billion dollars, and... 
most of the people that have seen the movie are not men. And there's just not that many white women in the world, believe yep. it or not. And, there's... you know, the last 15 to 20 years, I think, young men, at least, um, have really dominated multiplexes, um, if not for much longer. But there have been plenty of times in Hollywood's history where women were the majority of moviegoers. Um, so it's it's not like a, a set-in-stone thing that movies should be for 17-year-old boys. Um, obviously, women deserve to have movies for them, but, I, I, but Barbie's a movie for fucking everybody. Like, it's too good of a time for anybody to turn their nose up at it. So, there, I could turn my nose up at it just because I do get frustrated with films that that come across as like this is this is subversion mm. when it's when it's capitalism however i just have to be honest i i enjoyed every minute of it yeah and i did. I, I, I i do think I don't think it's it's feminism or it's capitalist critique is is particularly deep like i'm it's not I'm I'm here for a billion dollar movie to have those things in it for sure because I think you know not not everybody is in the mood to see a Pasolini movie you know you know what I mean or 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 read bell hooks um but if you can if Barbie can get the conversation started um I think that's good but I I do think and what surprised me the most is um, stereotypical Barbie's sort of personal identity crisis and cognitive dissonance. I think that theme through the movie is like actually very deep and thoughtful. The the way she's trying to wrangle with who she's been, what she's thought of herself, coming to grips with the concept of death, the concept of mortality while being a toy, all that stuff I did not expect and I thought was actually very well thought out and and pretty deep especially you know when she's forced to confront how you know cruel basically she's been to weird barbie who all she has done her entire existence is help other barbies be their best selves while she herself has you know been ostracized for being her best self so for barbie to come to that realization I thought was like personally the most satisfying thematic uh, aspect of the movie. And it had a really awesome, like I was not expecting the last line from the movie. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Um, but before we still have some time, we got to go. So Oppenheimer, tell me about Oppenheimer. Okay. Wow. Um, Oppenheimer is a three-hour biopic of J. Robert Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. It it tells a story of, in several different timelines, the biography of Oppenheimer, the building of the atomic bomb, his um, kangaroo court hearing to get his security clearance removed to basically make him persona non grata 
and also the Senate confirmation hearing of Admiral Straws, who took it upon himself to um, wage a personal vendetta against Oppenheimer. And through all this, we see um, Oppenheimer's ego and his his relationship, rivalry, friendship with uh, Leslie Groves, who was the military man in charge of the Manhattan Project. And, and I think the movie is really about it's about a lot of things, but it's it's about um, Oppenheimer's inability to have perspective on the consequences of his actions. Yo, you you just you just you just nailed it. Oh, yeah, thank you. thank you. Like yeah, because because that's what yeah, he just he never even till the bitter end just doesn't is fucking daft yep. about. The consequences, even though he's got all this hubris and, you know, everyone knows about, you know, quoting the Bhagavad Gita or whatever, but like... Uh, Real quick, I think that is that perfectly encapsulates who he is. Because, you know, the movie does do a good job of pointing out how he's constantly, like, opening himself up to the world, like, oh, I have sinned so greatly, I am so terrible, please forgive me, and he's making it about him. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy who he he says he he does that really cool quote, but in the process he's like he's saying I have become death to shorter worlds. He's he's reframing the Bhagavad Gita as being yeah. about him. He's saying I am become death. I am now Shiva. What Hiroshima Nagasaki and the entire Manhattan Project is now revolving around me, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and he he just. He can't see outside of himself. Do you like Christopher Nolan? Yes, I do. I I like his films quite a bit. Um, I actually think his Batman movies are his least interesting films. Um, but I'm I'm generally a fan of what he's done. I. I've never thought about that comment about how his Batman movies are the least interesting that he's done. Mm-hmm. I would I would say that that that's mostly fair. I think the third one is is a big disappointment for me just cuz it has so much potential. Yeah. So I really do enjoy it, but I'm always like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Tom Hardy as Bane should be the coolest fucking thing in the history of movies. Um, but it's it's pretty good. But yeah, I think you're, that makes, yeah, because when you think about it, you got like, uh, that that movie where like uh, the Al Pacino can't sleep. Oh, Insomnia, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, Memento and The Prestige, which is, I mean, oh, The Prestige is a great movie. Yeah. And, you know, I, I actually never saw Tenet, but... I never have either. So so maybe that one's really bad? I don't know. I, I don't know. That. I think it just, like, came out in 2020. So... Yeah. Yeah. Didn't see, a, see, the, didn't see that many movies in 2020. But 
I was very surprised that Christopher Nolan decided to make a three-hour biopic about Oppenheimer and get the whole Manhattan, Manhattan Project in there and get... I mean, it obviously... Obviously, he's going to get his heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. You know, he's making a $100 million biopic and we're in a world now where you don't even know that these movies are going to be successful or not. We, we really are in a new age of cinema, uh, which I can't tell you is better for worse at yet. Yeah. But I mean, you have Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr. in, you know, a role that I think will probably win him some awards if awards exist next year. Yeah. He, he was, he was great. I have to say, uh, Florence Pugh in like who plays a character where people are like why oh she was there just for a love scene and I think it's interesting how how new fans of films especially on film Twitter and film TikTok and forms of film criticism that are above my head how they feel about sex scenes in movies. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, cause, cause some people are just like, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be sex scenes. Sex scenes are exploitative, no sex scenes. And then there are people that are just like, all sex scenes are good cause they tell a story. I'm like, there's probably somewhere in between, but, and there's definitely movies I've seen where I was like, ah, yeah, that sex scene felt absolutely gratuitous. And then there are movies like Mulholland Drive where 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 you, there are just like scenes that are transcendent and lots of movies where love making is transcendent because part of love part of life is sex so sometimes it's going to be beautiful sometimes it's not sometimes it's going to be really sexy sometimes it's not so in this instance there was a lot of critique of Florence Pugh being in the movie and having a sex scene, but as she played a character that Oppenheimer had a love affair with, I guess it felt like a non-issue to me. Yeah. I don't... How did you feel? I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I I think, you know, it... There's so many scenes... There's just so many scenes in the movie. There's... Because... Even for a three-hour movie, it just goes back and forth, and and you see so many perspectives from so many different characters. So to single out like one ingredient as being excessive, it it's it it seems like an arbitrary criticism to me. But but I think those scenes are important because you know it's the only time where we see like. Anything, any more of Oppenheimer's physical form other than his face and his hands, like he's he's naked, right? Um, emotionally and physically. So I, I think it's important to see this character, who's who's so who's so much a projection of himself almost all the time, but Florence Pugh's character is able to expose him at his most bare, and so I think those scenes are essential and so when like spoiler here when um when she kills herself you know it's it's the person he's connected with emotionally the most intensely his entire life 
and and now that's gone. And the only person he can confide in is, is his current wife. And and so yeah, that's that's his greatest personal tragedy. Um, right. So it should be in the film, and if yeah. the greatest tragedy also happened to be an affair which was sexual and intellectual, yeah. I thought they did a good job of showing it and also shows, you know, that these characters are members of the, the American Communist Party, mm-hmm. which which is used later to try to just, you know, defang his power. I think I think people were afraid of him being having too much power so so they use the red scare against him yeah i don't i think that i don't think he was i think a lot of people that a lot of people there's a lot of people that find the alternatives to capitalism appetizing yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're working with stalin Absolutely, yeah. the The railroading of leftist intellectuals in in the fifties in America was pretty abhorrent, especially if you know for people who like literally fought against fascism and allied themselves with like leftist groups because they were fighting against fascism in World War Two, like they were doing their patriotic duty in the years from nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five. And because, you know, power changes very quickly, um, those political factions use it against them years later. And it's, it's pretty reprehensible. You know, I'm, I'm not, because uh, also, like, I would say that most socialists and communists probably don't really, we don't really rock with Oppenheimer and yeah. the use, we, and and atomic weapons you know it's a very it's a very boomer argument to say well we had to do it you know it had to be done you know and Mm -hmm. and it's just i'm just like i don't know about all that yeah i I, you know what i don't know i don't know what the good option was in 1945 um because to, to me, a, a te, just a, a telling perspective on the, the shifting mindset of America and England throughout the war is that at the beginning of the war, the fact that the Nazis were bombing London, killing civilians indiscriminately, was a point of propaganda that these monstrous Germans were killing civilians in London during the Blitz. By 1945, we bombed Dresden to the ground of city with no military value whatsoever. We burned Tokyo to the ground, um, which is a point the movie makes. So by 1945, the Allies were sending the message to the Axis powers, we are willing to kill as many civilians as it takes for you to unconditionally surrender. So that was the mentality that was fueling the Manhattan Project at that point. And so, and then I don't know what an invasion of Japan would have looked like. It would have been horrible if if Okinawa and Iwo Jima are any indication. The longer the war gone on, 
the more opportunity would have given Stalin to invade Japan, and Russia had been thirsting to get revenge on Japan since the Russo-Japanese War. I don't know what that how that would have manifested. And and also one of the greatest sins in the history of the world is the use of atomic bombs on human beings. Yeah. So it's global unrestrained conflict leads to monstrous acts and untold tragedy. So I I'm not saying that I know a solution to the end of World War II. I'm just saying that that shit can't happen again. No, like it, and it's it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's why I I tell people to to really not we do not want a hot war. We yeah. the world cannot handle a hot war. We we want to try to avoid it at all costs. And something that that Sasuke has pointed out, you know, that I'm sure must be very confusing and upsetting to Japanese people is the whole memification of like Barbenheimer and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah. And like, she was like, how would, how would we, how would Jews feel if there was a German film that celebrated Mengelis, you know, Mm -hmm. um, probably really confuse us and upset us. So it's, it's really strange that we're just like, well, it's not that strange to me. I get it that we're just, really pining for for the good old bad old bad days and celebrating this this complicated man who did these complicated things you, you know what i mean like yeah. and uh, and i don't think the movie celebrates him but no it it is a globally released movie with his name on it and so by the sheer fact of like spreading his story there is glory in in that certainly um but completely understand if you're japanese you could be like fuck no thank you right cuz also like you know when when like the lin manuel miranda's hamilton got really popular mm-hmm. i mean it's one of the most popular musicals of all time and it's the retelling of the revolutionary war with rap being retold having like the founding fathers played by you know non-white actors i always thought that like y'all are just like glassing over glossing over shit like on like creating like founder chic you know something like that yep and and i could imagine there are people people whose families were were affected by the transatlantic slave slavery to be like what the Aaron Burr is rapping about a girl he likes? Like what? So, so I think there's levels and there's layers and there's layer cakes. But I think the Barbenheimer thing particularly must have been really confusing to lots of people. And and now that we've <clears throat> talked about these two movies and and uh, I think I've said already, but I, I liked Barbie more than I liked Oppenheimer. I yeah. I just the the subject matter and just is really unpleasant for me 
the movie just made me uncomfortable and sad the entire time. And the performances weren't enough to... I, 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 just because I had seen, um, Oppenheimer opening weekend, um, I, I actually went to see it again, um, this week, this past weekend, and I think I liked it the better the second time, because I was just able to more sort of be in line with the movie's shifting of timelines, which is pretty complicated, and I was just more in tune with, with, with the thematics of, of how Christopher Nolan was telling the story, because I think a, a key moment in the beginning of the film is when Oppenheimer injects his professor's apple with cyanide in just sort of like a like an a- adolescent fit of rage, and then like becomes horrified at the idea that oh he's gonna murder his professor like no shit. So I I think that just perfectly sets up the kind of person that Oppenheimer is, this unparalleled genius with no sense of foresight. And I think it's, he's not the only genius to also be real stupid. Um, Just follow Neil deGrasse Tyson's Twitter feed and you'll see countless examples. Um... So I, I think I think the film does a good job of showing that and, and portraying that, but it's also it's also not a fun movie, to be sure. No. But yeah. But how do you rate Barbenheimer? As as a phenomenon or as film? Yes. <laughs> and how do, and how does it relate to popcorn eschaton? Um well, Barbie certainly has her own eschatological um, moment, sort of like um, Paul on the road to Damascus when she realizes what death is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that certainly ties into, and and hell, the most famous thing that Oppenheimer ever did was quote a piece of scripture. Um, so I, you know, about the apocalypse. So I think both of these movies are well in line with the kind of topics that we like to cover on this show. Plastic hell holes. Yeah. Hey, we're all going to drown in plastic at, uh, at the end. So Barbie shows us the way. 